Hi, this is Zach Poitra, and I'm sitting here with my lovely wife, Jess Poitra. Hello. <laughs> and uh, well, we want to first thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This podcast is something, uh, uh, the subject is something near and dear to my heart. Uh, the title is uh, Anxiety, Depression, and Ayahuasca. And I want to first uh, put forth a disclaimer. Uh, in this podcast, we're, we're going to talk about anxiety and depression and how ayahuasca may be helpful for some people. Um, but it's important for you to know that we're not doctors, we're not therapists, we're not medical professions. Uh, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Uh, if you're considering ayahuasca or some sort of other uh, psychedelic therapy, please uh, speak to your doctor or therapist about the subject. So, with that said, um, I'm going to hand this over to Jess, and she's going to be the interviewer, interviewer of sorts, and I will be the interviewee. So, Jess. Yeah. Well... It is a subject near and dear to your personal heart, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, for those of you who have not heard my story um, pre-ayahuasca, I worked uh, for many years in finance and finance and business and um, was somewhat successful. I wouldn't say I was crazy successful, but certainly doing well on, on most uh, standards in, in, in the United States anyway. And in about 2005-2007 time frame, really started having a hard time um, just with happiness. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know what was going on. I had had checked all those proverbial boxes of uh, externals, a nice house or a nice condo, uh, traveling and you know good income and that sort of thing, but was just really not happy. And um, had a lot of you know, not happy and in addition to that uh, anxiety, social anxiety. I mean, there were moments, and this is, goes pre this uh, job uh, early on. Where uh, and it continued uh, for some time, for many years, where um, I would be going to say a social event or in a social event, um, but uh, for the good story is um, going into say a a, a party um, or almost going in and going getting to the doorstep and just being overwhelmed like ah, ah I I I can't do this I I, I this is this is too much, and, and either, this happened on many occasions, either um, just bailing and making up some excuse later, uh, or doing a quick in and out, uh, that sort of thing, so it was just lots of anxiety, and it had not ever really addressed it, and um, then I discovered, started doing personal work and then discovered ayahuasca. And um, it was very helpful uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and at the same time, in full disclosure, and I think this is really important, um, the 
depression and anxiety was much subdued, um, much more manageable, and yet it still would come up. Recently, I think some of you have heard um, uh, the podcast I had about working with uh, a coach, a life coach, and also due to what I do, uh, <laughs> ayahuasca preparation integration coach. And part of that has really brought forth uh, information or understanding that um, there are some things that that uh, ayahuasca on its own um, just do not address or uh, without awareness with awareness can be quite quite powerful and helpful but without awareness it was um, not being addressed and so that's yeah that's where why this is this is really a big subject for me and um, the other thing is is that we in this culture and in our work um, due to the culture we come across um, pretty much everyone has a certain level of anxiety uh, and some some depression um, and um, we work with a lot of those people and of course we we also work with people who are more working um, with a, a little bit more of a serious uh, uh, issue around these these uh, these two things so uh, both of us read a book recently and it was kind of the one of the inspirations for this mm-hmm. for this podcast um, do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so um, the book is um, lost connections by Johan Hari and Johan Hari um, I think is is came out with is best known for his book on addiction um, and this is his second book that just came out I want to say in the last year and um, I, I heard him on um, some other podcasts. I, I'm pretty sure Joe Rogan, and it inspired me to, uh, in conjunction with my own personal work, to uh, read this this uh, newer book on. Uh, it's all about depression and anxiety. One of the, or there are a couple of things that were notable uh, themes in this book, and those are that. There is a story, an idea in the uh, medical uh, world that depression, and this is the story that he personally received because he was uh, working with depression and so forth and on medications, and, and he was told that the wiring in his brain was broken or miswired or what have you. And the other story was a chemical imbalance, so the the cur- mainstream current view on anxiety and depression is that it's a biochemical, simply biochemical. And through his research, um, you know, he's not a doctor either, nor is he a therapist or anything like that. Uh, what he is able to do, though, is look at the various silos of um, uh, the, the medical and research world, science world, um, combining psychology um, uh, and neuroscience, and comparing the their own research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what came forth was that um, really the the stories or the story that has been told in the mainstream is false. Uh, 
uh, to a very large extent. Um, there is a biochemical thing that goes on, but it's due to external stimuli and conditions that, that we're exposed to that creates the, 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 the biochemical response is a response to that external sim stimuli. A yeah. correct response. A correct, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's a, and that was one of the big, like, whoa, it's so empowering in a way because it's like, oh, there's not something physically wrong here in, in this body, this being, this vehicle, but rather through the cultural exposure and conditions, um, both from childhood and also just our general uh, way of life in the Western world, it, it's a stimuli that that creates the anxiety and depression. And so with that understanding, it's no longer a victim, there's something wrong with me, but rather, oh, if it's external stimuli, I can, um, we can address that and uh, adjust that. And that's that's a big thing in his book, which was gigantic. Right. And it, if, I can, if I can just jump in here for a minute, I, I think that this is one of the reasons that a lot of people come to plant medicine in the first place, is realizing that they're actually not the victim of their physical circumstances. Because this happened to me as well in a completely different medical range. You know, when we, when we come down with some kind of what's considered by the medical community to be a chronic illness. Um, it's assumed that something is broken in the person and it needs fixing with some kind of pharmaceutical, when really our bodies are just responding the way that they're designed to respond. And if we go into the body and work with the body, then we actually have the power to overcome these things on our own without the help of pharmaceuticals. Right, well, and that's I wanted to um, point out that it's it's helpful to have help. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um, and and it, we need to be uh, really careful uh, when we decide to take some sort of medic. Because sometimes medication is totally appropriate. Sure, I think antibiotics save lives. You know, <laughs> no question, uh, and it's important uh, as we approach um, pharmaceuticals and choosing whether or not to use them to, um, we can look at the efficacy and the side effects. And we, uh, this is the, the self-empowering stuff that we like to remind people of, is that it's, um, you know, the medical, mainstream medical community uh, does not always have all the answers. And uh, the pharmaceuticals, and, and this brings to the next big point that he, uh, 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 Johan, um, went and researched because he was on antidepressants for years and years. And um, he, was, he came to the realization these, it's particularly long term, it wasn't working. Um, and so what he did it was a huge amount of research on, and using the pharmaceuticals own uh, companies own research mm -hmm. and found the efficacy um, rates being extremely low, particularly long term. Um, I think, and I'm, I hope I'm not misquoting, uh, I think that um, he points out that it's largely a um, 
what's the word when it's a placebo yeah. effect, which is a real thing. We we love the placebo effect. It's self-healing however you can get it is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that was an, another gigantic uh, theme because for some time we come across people who want to work with us and are on antidepressants and we're like, that's dangerous. You know, that's just a no, that's a very dangerous thing to, to mix with ayahuasca and there has to be um, at least, uh, to be super safe, two weeks um between the last uh, dosage of antidepressants and your first ceremony, at least that amount of time, because you don't want to mix those two together. If one mixes the two together, it creates um, a serotonin syndrome or can create serotonin syndrome, which is um, deadly or can be deadly. So with all that said about those those two themes that um, he, Johan goes further and starts looking at um, conditions and stimuli that uh, for many people create anxiety and depression. Um, If I remember correctly, there are nine of them. Uh, We have the list uh, that we'll read here in a second. What we're gonna do is go through the nine um, stimuli or conditions that create anxiety and depression. And then we're not going to talk about each one because most of them are pretty uh, self-explanatory. And if you really want to dive into it, I totally recommend you you getting this book. Um, but what we'll do is we'll kind of uh, point out where um, working with ayahuasca in a group, particularly it's important in a group setting, um, might be helpful. Uh, for this process. And we also want to uh, highlight where ayahuasca won't hit (laughs) because particularly um, where you can, uh, on your own personal uh, journey, can can, um, do practices or work with professionals to uh, kind of take, we're big fans of integral approach. That integral meaning um, there's no one answer and there's... um, there's many ways to go at uh, various issues, and it's important to hit on them. And you know, for if you're listening to this and um, you are uh, working through anxiety and depression, it, it, some of these uh, things m- you can address on your own before even considering ayahuasca. Indeed. And you know, we have no problem with that. We we we're here to to help. We're not we're not here to uh, sell ayahuasca <laughs> retreats. Right. Uh, we'd love it if we do love it when people come, and we love working with them and helping them. Uh, but we want to be clear that this is this is uh, uh, totally informational for you to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some really fun tips for preparing for a group ayahuasca retreat too that will help work through depression and anxiety or at least bring some of the issues to the forefront um, before beginning the process so there is this really beautiful quote uh, by krishnamurti and and it is that it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society Mm mm-hmm and Johan, in his book, really brought this up within the, the framework of the nine, the nine conditions that sort of give rise to, or the nine stimuli that give rise to depression. So our, our society really creates 
in a lot of ways an environment for us all to be depressed or anxious on some level or or other can yeah. you can you speak to some of those uh stimuli do you want to go through the the list yeah okay let's do that okay so here is the list of um stimuli or cause of anxiety and depression uh, according to uh, johan Hari's research First is uh, disconnection from meaningful work. You know, we all have have had those jobs. That are, um, that's well, most of us. I mean, some of us have figured it out early. To follow your heart and be. Happy. Yeah, I think <laughs> you and I have both had both had experiences with with work that wasn't meaningful to us. And absolutely, yeah. And I know that that I really hit a wall with with mine. I, I mean, I, I used to practice law, right. and while it was intellectually stimulating, um, there was nothing that resonated with me. There was nothing meaningful in it for me. And to spend so many hours of your waking life doing a job that means nothing to you Mm -hmm. just for money Mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's tough. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, and it's you know this is one that ayahuasca can't help. (laughs) Um, Well, well, I mean it it may help one prioritize. Prioritize, yeah. To to come to the realization that that's a dead end. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's also um, it may be a situation where you know financially someone has to do what they have to do. Sure. Um, and at the same time, there are other things that they can do to kind of offset that uh, lack of uh, uh, meaning in their work. Yes. So that's the first one is disconnection from meaningful work. The next one is disconnection from other people. Well, daily life has us doing that all the time, too. We're working all the time. And then when you come home from work, you're too tired to have any kind of interaction. And then what? You're just sitting in front of the TV or maybe just even interacting with just a couple of other people. Like we've lost that connection to tribe, to community. And it's a, it's a missing nutrient in our daily lives, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, particularly in the United States, um, this idea, there's a pervasive idea of... In, individualism um, which is great it's gotten <laughs> to a certain extent it's gotten um, our country to develop to where it has become developed and at the same time it's, it's gotten kind of to um, I want to say uh, neuroses mm-hmm. um, to where in you know 50 years ago people knew their neighbors people you know, interacted out in the world, and now neighborhoods, um, <clears throat> neighborhoods, um, and say apartment buildings. I don't remember the last time I knew my neighbor well, or went and hung out with my neighbor. I mean, it's happened a few times in my life, but not until we moved here to Guatemala. Yeah, exactly. we never knew our neighbors in Austin. That's right. right. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so. Um, that's that's a that's a big deal, and I think a lot of people don't realize uh, that uh, is an issue. And what you know, this is one where a group ayahuasca retreat may be helpful because um, one, you're gonna the, the people who come on retreat, they're in this container doing a 
very, uh, very powerful work. And I like to say that uh, people come in, lovely people, and, and so please don't get us wrong. Uh, and we all have this, that we all have masks. Yes. And throughout the retreat, as people go through their processes, uh, releasing and uh, acknowledging and uh, looking at uh, various traumas or, or um, events in their past or uh, ways of being, um, that those masks start to dissolve. Mm -hmm. And not only that's an experiential thing from the person going through the process, and they get to see other people going through the process everyone starts to get more and more open, more and more vulnerable. And this is, I think, why so many people post ayahuasca retreats are like, yeah, my interactions with my family, with my friends, people out in public, they're different. Mm -hmm. People, and they, other people respond. There's a, uh, uh, was the mask coming off? There's an authenticity, authenticity that comes forth, and there's nothing more beautiful. There's than that. nothing more beautiful. Than it's that. very it, shiny. It's very, <laughs> very shiny, and so that that's an, that's one of the conditions that uh, um, or stimuli that uh, ayahuasca may be quite helpful. Um, and you know, the other part of that is uh, post retreat is integration. Um, and we, we do our best to help guide people to like um, uh, get more involved with um, their community or um, practices. Yeah, because the practice, and in in, you say it, go and become part of a meditation group or yoga group or, um, you know, go have fun with other people, <laughs> not, not in front of a screen. Yeah. Screens are okay to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, that's the, they're part of our lives, that's for sure. Well, the other thing about the, the group retreat and the interaction and connection with people is that really besides becoming quite intimate, uh, the medicine really does this magical thing where she curates the groups that come mm -hmm. so that watching the other people in your group going through their processes is is extra healing for you because it was kind of like a group that became designed for you mm -hmm. through the beautiful synchronicity that ayahuasca allows yeah yeah it's 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 very it's quite amazing maybe even a podcast unto itself on that yeah, yeah. true <laughs> so the the next one is um a disconnection from meaningful values that is materialism um, extreme materialism what Johann did was he started uh, through his studying the research he found uh, long-term studies showing that as one focus on focuses on external uh, or extring extrinsic uh, things which is materialism it means it creates a situation where the person is less happy versus uh, those who focus on internal or intrinsic things, motivations. Uh, motivations, what have you, that equals happiness. So this is um, so many teachers in, in the spiritual paths are like, look within, 
And Jesus said it, the kingdom of heaven is within, mm-hmm. or the kingdom of God is within. And I'm sorry if I quoted you wrong, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, uh, I don't know much about Judaism or Islam, but I would guess that's what they talk about as well. And, you know, it's our society and particularly our media mm. continually tells us that we need to go to the external uh, if we just have this car will be complete if I we have this body will be complete um, and happy and we're chase, literally chasing our tails because uh, it just it doesn't you can never want, have enough you can never have enough um, and it's all temporary so there may be a um, I used to practice myself I used to practice retail therapy when I when I was I'd go out and be like oh weekend I'm not feeling so good okay let me go buy some badass I, I, I was a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a or was am shoe guy. I'm a shoe guy <laughs> uh, a clothes horse if you will and yeah there's that little pop oh yeah now I have this people are gonna think I'm cool yeah and <laughs> no they didn't really care <laughs> Which is, you know, fine and a lesson I, I had to learn. Um, still like to wear nice shoes, though. <laughs> In Guatemala. In Guatemala. <laughs> you know, and so on the other side, um, internal is, um, you know, really going in and, and finding what really makes you... Uh, maybe you can take this... You explain the internal work and, and how... I'm having a hard time articulating, so please. Uh, Well, I mean, thinking about what brings you joy and and satisfaction, it's it's a matter of what are you what are you doing with your free hours? Are you you know are you out shopping? Are you are you getting things? Are you practicing some kind of craft or or doing some kind of project where you actually feel fulfilled mm. after having done it. So something that brings you joy, mm. right? And then also, you know, looking looking to the inside for stillness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something we talk about so much in, in the practice of ayahuasca is finding and cultivating stillness because if we're extrinsically focused then we're always looking at getting things Mm -hmm. whereas if you come in and you you find the stillness then you find the internal satisfaction and peace that you're looking for Mm -hmm. and yeah so this leads to how this is another one where an ayahuasca retreat might be helpful is that um one of the things we do when you come on ayahuasca retreat you don't worry about any transactions where there's no once the retreat starts we there's no need for money really um everything is taken care of for that entire week and you know it's funny because um i was on a podcast recently with noah kagan who's he's an entrepreneur and um he he was like hey man you know, entrepreneurs are always looking for ways to make money, which is totally cool. It's their gig, and it's appropriate in some context. And he said, hey, man, so on your retreat, I I kept waiting for the upsell. When was the upsell going to come? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, it I took, guess we didn't talk about the ETA. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that could be an upsell. Uh, but we're... Just a joke. Yeah, it's a joke, yeah. But 
it's it it kind of surprised me, but at the same time, by design, we're removing as much as we can that transactional uh, mode that we uh, often deal with out in the world. Everybody's trying to get something from everybody else, and um, it's a rest time to get away from that extrinsic um, stuff, which includes transactions, uh, money transactions, and specifically, and. In addition to that, ayahuasca can help one reprioritize where their focus is, and the um, reprioritization is often towards the intrinsic. Uh, there's a lot of recognition. We hear it a lot of like, oh my God, you know, all these things just don't matter anymore. I mean, they're there are some things that are necessary to continue in life and continue working and so forth and all this anxiety and fear about um, these these various extrinsic things are just no longer so important uh, and that's that's a that's a big one we hear quite a lot and we've also experienced ourselves. I mean, we, mm. we, you know, were in the medicine or ayahuasca very deeply uh, for many years, and we've gone through a process of simplify, simplify, simplify. Um, and as we've done that, happier, 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 lighter, lighter, lighter. And you know, that's that's our choice. It's through our own personal experience, our own decisions, uh, that we've we've come to this, uh, and. We're by no means prescribing that for everyone, uh, and ayahuasca may help one experiment a little bit there. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I just want to say that we, we actually had a ceremony, a little ceremony, last night, and uh, this is a great example. One of our guests uh, was telling us and recounting his experience that ayahuasca kept showing him how he was very busy and very focused on his work and like extrinsically just focused on work and was reminding him again and again be attentive be attentive be attentive you know to his to his fiance but i mean you can you can take that even farther you know be be attentive to what's going on internally be attentive to the people that are are around you and then and really change the the focus of the extrinsic Mm-hmm. to the intrinsic and the, the nurturing of yourself and uh, the relationships. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so the, um, the next one on the list is <clears throat> disconnection from childhood trauma. And this one is hits home for me. I, again, until I started working with a therapist, <clears throat> I had always looked back at my childhood as being pretty good you know nothing gigantic that I could point to was uh, a problem per se and then when I uh, started working with a therapist he started pulling stuff out of me and I'm like oh oh okay yeah there is stuff there and one thing that ayahuasca um, ayahuasca can bring forth things that we're not aware of she does a really good job of that but she can only do so much and this is one where I think particular if one is working with anxiety and depression a therapist or a coach 
in conjunction with ayahuasca can be a very powerful uh, combination because the, the, the coach or therapist will pull stuff forward to the forefront, to the, the awareness that we, we're just like, oh, isn't that normal? And it's like, no, that's, that's not normal <laughs> or not ideal, what have you. Um, and then with that understanding, we can go into ayahuasca and, and she can really experientially work through it. And so I think that this one, uh, in, even good therapy on its own is a huge, huge help for uh, for this. And the key is good therapy because not all therapists are equal. Based on my understanding, my, my I got lucky. My, my first shot, I seem to to get super lucky. Anyway, uh, do do you have any commentary on the? Well, yeah. So. Not only can ayahuasca bring some of these memories up to the surface, but a lot of times, um, not a lot of times, just about all the time, um, ayahuasca is vibrating these patterns out of the body. You you may have memories that are pre-verbal that are still held in your body tissues, and ayahuasca being a very somatic medicine um, helps bring those energies to the surface to be released. So a lot of times you can even work through some of these childhood or pre-verbal traumas without actually knowing, I mean, knowing exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really powerful work as well. Yeah. Yeah, interesting on uh, on that point of not knowing exactly what they're... Last night, again, mm-hmm. powerful night for me. Um, it was... <laughs> So this was a, a private ceremony uh, amongst friends, and <laughs> about halfway through the ceremony, uh, I got a, a, a vision and a, and a message, we're going to do some deep work, we're going to do some purification right now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Is this a good time? Because we got these other people in it. It's like, no, now's the time. And... Um, went through because usually um we were in a in a space with friends who helped hold the space for me as i went through this process and i turned to jess as it was about to start i said jess i'm going through gonna go through a deep process right now and and just just hang hang in there everything's fine it's it's cool just let me go through it and um there was as i was releasing um there was content that I recognized, and then there was a lot of content that was, I don't know where this is coming from, because it's ineffable, uh, but it was a release and uh, went through several stages, and each stage was like lighter, cleaner, significantly lighter, cleaner, and I was like, wow, 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 and this is what ayahuasca can can do um, quite a bit, um, and again, um, having awareness uh, will kind of put some uh, fuel on the proverbial sacred fire. (laughs) (laughs) I will say you do look particularly glowy today. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, um, the the next one is uh, disconnection from status and respect. Um, He says that, again, through his his research, particularly around uh, the media, and we talked about the media before, that the media puts forth uh, all these images of billionaires, perfect physical specimens, um, and uh, this idea that you're 
our socioeconomic status is constantly at risk. Constantly, we're constantly trying to to scramble to be the top guy, trying to optimize, trying to you know all this stuff, and it makes us this constant state of insecurity. And a million ladders at once. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this is very much media driven. Um, which, on as a side note, if if one is going through anxiety and depression, one might consider taking a week long media break. No news, no uh, social media. Stay away from your your computer unless you, obviously everyone works on a computer, so emails and so forth. Um, but um, using the screen as a entertainment source, take a week off and see what happens. See how you feel. That's, uh, that's something that w- worth giving a shot. Um, and it, it might be interesting to see how hard that might be. Right. Yeah, so like, oh. Bring up some addiction. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, is yet something else to address. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then he went on, and, and to be clear, we're not uh, socialist, communist, or anything like that. But he does point out that um, based on the studies, uh, Unequal societies where there's a big gap between uh, wealthy and not wealthy, um, depression uh, rate is much higher compared to uh, those who have more of a uh, gigantic middle class. You know, um, he, you know, it's always talked about the Northern Europe is is some of the happiest countries are some of the happiest countries in, in the world. And they are quite equal in terms of their socioeconomic status uh, across the board. So, you know, I don't think we're qualified to, we could try to be armchair economists and (laughs) and sociologists and so forth, but that's, you know, this is based on his research. So, um, you know, quantified uh, research. Well, this can kind of tie back into that meaningful work Mm -hmm. as well, because when you're in a job where you don't have any power and there's there's a book out there called Bullshit Jobs that I haven't read, but I've Uh heard about frequently. And, you know, it's the situations where you're stuck at work and your boss is going to give you like sort these tax by color just to take up your time. And it's it's a form of humiliation, Mm. really, because. What, that's what my that's what my time is worth. Yeah. That's what I'm doing, yeah. right? And you you feel like you don't have any power, and you say so in the position that you're in. Is that that's a form of daily humiliation. Mm. The proverbial: you got time to lean, you got time to clean. <sighs> <laughs> so so the next one is disconnection from the natural world. This is. Jeez, you know, again, in our society, most of us are living in cities, and you know, a lot of times we just don't get out and into into nature. There is um, something, and I'm going to skip ahead, and we'll probably circle back on this. Mm-hmm. He talked about, um, he met this woman uh, who was working with people with, uh, I think she was working with people with anxiety and depression. That's why he went to see her. And what she would do is she would take, or she, and she did this with him, she took him to the top of a mountain uh, out in nature. And there was this 180 degree, or I think it was actually 360 degree view of the landscape. And um, the, the point of doing that is to, when one experiences that, there's a reduction of ego. 
uh, with this big universe and oh I'm just relatively small and and it's it, for many people it's enjoyable because it's a remembrance right and for him he was actually saying he didn't like it because he, he later discovered that it was the ego uh, fighting that and um, he didn't say this but my sense is, is it's um, particularly as one's looking at say psychedelics or ayahuasca it's a good way to prepare because if you don't like it he, you know, by all means come off the mountain but then go up again and again so that you can get comfortable with that ego um, I don't want to say dissolution it's kind of a strong word but it's along those lines um, because as that's what ayahuasca and psychedelics do ayahuasca is really good at it is, is really de- deconstructing the ego and if, if one is uh, fighting it, it it's it makes it challenging mm-hmm. um, more challenging so that, that can be a great preparation thing and I, I think we'll I'll come right. back to that it kind of kind of calls you out on your on the mask that you're wearing yeah, yeah. because it's like looking out over and feeling feeling so small doesn't match with the identity you've created for right. yourself so right like that disparity gets highlighted yeah yeah, and it's and it, it sounds like feeling so. I don't want to feel small, but it actually, when one surrenders to it, it's it's oh, I'm small and I'm part of this gigantic thing. So I'm small and big at the mm-hmm. same time. Gigantic, I mean, right. infinite. Uh, but getting back to the natural world uh, point, yes. <laughs> as it relates to ayahuasca, particularly the way we uh, do our retreats, we are in Lake Atitlan, Guatemala, which is this amazing beautiful natural setting uh, that you're essentially in um, except for when you're asleep <laughs> um, in your room because the 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 space um, for ceremonies meetings and so forth is covered and but it's outdoors and the 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 weather is almost that perfect Southern California weather maybe a little bit chillier at night um, and so it's very conducive to spending time outside and connecting with nature and there are places to go hiking um, and and also being around the indigenous Mayan people in the village because this is a uh, Sununa where we do retreats is a traditional Mayan village and so watching how these people I mean you see the women in the in the creek washing their clothes you see people working in their fields you see them you know hiking in their traditional dress which is so yeah it's really cool so it's it's this this direct experience of nature itself in in our retreats and then also uh seeing this indigenous group of people who are fully in this in the natural world Mm -hmm. so it's like that's how i think uh ayahuasca a group ayahuasca retreats with us well with us there are a lot of places <laughs> that um, are offering their retreats out in, in the natural world, and, and so I think it can be quite helpful. Yeah. Well, also from from this perspective and from many other perspectives, disconnecting from the natural world is almost like cutting part of your body off. It's like an amputation because we, I, I say this so often, but I think it's an important point, we are literally part of our environment. Mm. 
we are co-breathing with the trees. They're inhaling what we're exhaling and we are inhaling what they're exhaling. What the food that we eat is a product of the earth and a, a boundary dissolution in itself. And it's to return to just even contemplating that connection is really, really powerful. And when you're here in Lake Atitlan and we're eating food that comes directly from the land that's around us and we're just saturated in the nature here, it's, it's just a really beautiful way to be immersed again in that and remember what it is like to be connected. Mm -hmm. yeah, very well said. Next one on the list is um, disconnection from a hopeful or secure future that is unable to understand that when one is in depths of anxiety or depression, that it's a temporary state in which at the same time being in that state, oftentimes the person cannot imagine a better future, i.e. everything's going to be okay. I think this, with this understanding that it, that it's external stimuli that is um, creating the anxiety and depression is helpful because then you can go, oh, well, I can change that external stimuli. That kind of helps with the first step, right? And and then, oh, there, this is temporary. It's not, I'm, uh, I'm broken, uh, can't be fixed, et cetera, et cetera. And as it relates to ayahuasca retreat, maybe you can do a better job of articulating yeah, ayahuasca could be helpful. I just don't know how to say that or how, you know, how to, it's kind of an ineffable process that uh, she does on that point. In a very, in the very basic way, I mean, we call ayahuasca mother ayahuasca, right? A, lo a lot of times something that we just need is to be held and to be tell told that everything is going to be okay. And a lot of times that's missing, that kind of maternal nurturing is missing from our lives and ayahuasca is really beautiful with that um, many experiences people have where they're just being held and just feel like they can release all the tension and all the worries to to the earth to the medicine and uh, that's just a really beautiful experience in itself hmm. Hmm. Yeah, well said <laughs> thank you i was <laughs> And so, okay, so let's move on to the next one on his list is um, biology and genes. And what really, he puts this forth, but then he debunks it at the same time. And what he, uh, he says, yeah, there are, there's been some studies where there's a genetic, quote-unquote, predisposition to depression. However, it's goes to, I think, correct me, Jess knows this better than I, I do, but I think it's it, he takes it down to epigenetics where it, in order for those genes to turn on, there needs to be external stimuli. Yeah. <laughs> so without the external stimuli, the those people who have that gene have no issue um, and they do fine. So it's... Right. Uh, well, it's, it's that concept that... Uh, well, not, not concept. This is well known now. Um, your genes are not your destiny. It was put forward for so long that genetics were just a, a code for what your whole life is going to be mm. like and the diseases that you're going to have. But th this is just not true. Mm. Um, we have a lot of genetic material that can be 
upregulated and downregulated, and the genes themselves can be turned on or turned off. Mm. The great thing is the turn off. <laughs> or maybe the turn yeah, off. Turn, too. Yeah, I'm depending turn on some good ones on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, In this case, turn off. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, you know, even if you, in the neuroplasticity, issue as well like you know you may be let's say you're born kind of wired a certain way well if you practice connecting and and making other habits you wear those grooves into your neural wiring Mm -hmm. so neurons that that fire together wire together right that's that's the saying and you can literally rewrite your your programming Mm -hmm. it all it takes is focus and practice and and it's completely possible. So even if you're born with that wiring that predisposes you to depression or anxiety, there you are... I mean the genetics, because uh, according to the, the study, it's, um, you know, we're, we come, we're, unless there's some sort of brain defect or um, that we uh, come forth and, yeah, we might have the genetic and the epigenetic possibility for those that to be turned on anxiety and depression um however it's through these conditions that create the neural pathways because of neuroplasticity and this this idea of neural i want to make sure that people understand neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is this discovery in neuroscience that our brains can change they literally can change, and this has been proven now. And he, if I can take this further, that was, you kind of jumped into the neuroplasticity, which was the other part of his finding, which is that um, uh, he went to the neuroscientists, um, and neuroscientists were like, yeah, this, this, this whole story about anxiety and depression uh, as it's put forth in the mainstream is, is totally not correct, um, it, because of neuroplasticity, which is proven, there is a way to get out of it through uh, this gift of neuroplasticity. That is, we can change our brain, the the, uh, the pathways, neural pathways, and what would you say, the neurons that fire together, wire together? Yes. Yes, there we go. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, yeah, and, and in terms of ayahuasca, on this point, there's speculation that um, ayahuasca creates in a, and there's it's not a quantifiable way, but there's a lot of speculation that there, it does create um, new neural pathways very quickly, faster than than one can do in, in regular um, practice in life. So uh, that again is speculation, uh, as far as I know, uh, but it's one that we've we tend to uh, ascribe to, mm-hmm. subscribe to, mm-hmm. I don't know, whichever word that is. So those are the. I think we covered the nine nine stimuli, and we addressed uh, some of the ways that um, uh, ayahuasca retreats might be helpful. Now, Johan, in his book, also goes through and, and puts forth some ideas uh, on each of these points. Um, I don't. I think it would be best uh, for y'all to if you if you want to. Uh, we cannot recommend this book enough for particularly those who have anxiety and depression or so a loved one who has anxiety and de- depression because oftentimes uh, those who have anxiety and depression are afraid you know they're, they're 
they're afraid to really go into it. Um, and it, you know, we can't really force them, but we, we might be able to nudge them. So we need to be very uh, skillful and gentle and compassionate about this whole thing. He, in, yeah, I didn't know this. Um, there are a couple of things that I, I do want to point out on some of the, the solutions uh, or things that one can do to help with those conditions. One of which, and this is something we do in our retreats, is um, he talked about um, sympath- creating sympathetic joy. And he's not a woo-woo guy. He's very skeptical and... and um, quantitative and analytical and he's all about the research and many of you may have already heard the research on meditation and it's such a big subject it can be overwhelming for some people Um, and what he he narrowed it down which I love because it's without so many options for meditation it's like well what where do I start and what he there's a specific meditation um it's called a couple of different things. It's a sympathetic joy meditation. Uh, there's meta meditation, and what's the Tibetan word for the the uh, meta meditation? Maitri. Maitri. Yeah. Oh, but that but that's towards towards itself. Right. Maitri. Yeah, and then there's also Tonglin. Tonglin. Yeah. Okay, so let's go down the list again. Sympathetic joy meditation, uh, meta meditation, Maitri, and Tonglin. Mm-hmm. All of these uh, will address this. They're, they're kind of the similar names or <laughs> different names for similar meditations. They'll have different um, techniques specifically. But um, what it is is first in the meditation, really focusing inward on oneself, wishing well for oneself. May it, we use, and this is some, the reason I bring it up is we do this in our retreats is we, um, when we're starting ceremony, we'll start with a meta meditation, which we start with, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be free from suffering, may I be free from mental anxiety. And we repeat this over and over again for some time. Uh, Jess guides people through and then goes silent and she lets them continue. and. Then we, we, we take it to ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, may you be happy. May you be healthy. Wishing well for ayahuasca because we feel she's such a wonderful gift. And then we move on to all sentient beings. So we're, we're starting with cultivating first with ourselves our love and compassion and well-wishing. And then ex- once that's built up, then we extend it f- out such that when we see other people having success, having joy, and so forth, we're happy for them. Mm-hmm. Rather than uh, sometimes, particularly around anxiety and depression, there can be, not always, there can be some resentment, jealousy, and envy. Um, don't know why, but uh, and I can, I can point to that myself uh, through my own experiences uh, in, the, in the past. <laughs> uh, much less so now. So this is the reason I bring this up is that we we do that uh, during our retreats as a nice way to start. But this is something that one would uh, need to continue as part of the integration process post retreat if it if they so uh, if they felt the need to do so. And then the other thing that is relevant in some of the solutions that he put forth, and I didn't know this when I started reading the book, he started talking about psychedelics uh, as a, a 
overcoming the uh, overcoming the addiction to the self. That is, uh, being addicted to the self. It's that materialism. It's that looking extrinsic stuff. Uh, Perfectionism. External, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, self hatred, beating ourselves up, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And he talked about how he he pointed to a study, um, the psilocybin study. It was it was a really cool thing to hear because the study was you know clinical albeit in a nice setting they were smart about that but it was a psychologist doing the guiding to be clear psilocybin is very different from ayahuasca it has some similarities but it's different i like to say if someone we is an aside if someone says oh oh you do ayahuasca okay well i've done mushrooms I, I kind of, I don't say this out loud, but I kind of think to myself, well, that's like someone, a ballet dancer saying, oh, I do ballet. And the other person in the conversation saying, yeah, I've been to a rave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're, <clears throat> they're both dancing. But, different personalities, yeah, different. completely <clears throat> different personalities. And that's, that's not to say that uh, psilocybin is a rave drug or anything like that. Yeah. I suppose it could be, but all right. Probably is. I, th- I thought the ballet was the mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> well played, my dear. So it was it, it was um, guided, which is great, and it was uh, really structured, which is great. And then he talked about um, how in, when a, a person, there's a pr- certain percentage of the um, participants in the study who would have a bad, quote-unquote, bad trip. This is interesting. This is where the, the therapist, scientist versus shaman is very different. The therapist, scientist has not been working with the plant extensively, has not necessarily, and this may be changing, hopefully, but they don't have shamanic techniques to help one through the process. They'll try to talk one through the process, in our experience with ayahuasca, that will start with that at a minimum, but oftentimes the the, the party who's going through a, a challenging moment um, doesn't have the ability to, to talk through it. <laughs> and so this is where shamanic techniques uh, are extremely helpful, and that's um, it's hard to explain over a podcast, but there's a, a series of shamanic techniques that help one move through the process. And we're very, the, part of the reason we do small group retreats is so that when someone needs help, we are on it right away mm-hmm. and we are helping them through their process. And um, there's even uh, techniques um, at some point where we, uh, will be able to reduce the intensity of of their experience and, and actually we're we're pulling and this is going to sound a little woo woo but we're moving the energy that's come up to the surface through and out we're not trying to suppress anything and um, we there is a point at which we can we can reduce the um, the effects um, not completely to sobriety quote unquote sobriety um, but to a, a, a manageable. manageable yeah yeah and this it was very interesting because you know that's that's the I think a big difference to point out this is also uh, a good place to say that the, the technology of the ikaros as well as, as a shamanic technique 
um, again, a whole podcast unto itself, but really the, the sound, the vibration of the sound, moving the medicine through that person's body in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just something that a, that a therapist, unless they're a shamanic therapist. Right, right. And have <laughs> done the training. And have done the training, right? They're, they're not going to have those kinds of techniques or tools available. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Uh, so it was, it was very interesting that he brought that forth. We're, we're coming close to the end here. I wanted to, um, some uh, that tip about, you know, if one is working with anxiety and depression, um, about going, one, just as a practice, going up on top of the mountain, uh, or a mountain, not the mountain, <laughs> and getting a 180 to 360 view of a beautiful landscape, I think is 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 great and a great preparation tool for if one is going to go into some sort of psychedelic therapy or ayahuasca ceremony or maybe there's uh, some other type of uh, solid ceremony that one is is going through maybe uh, peyote or san pedro that is a a big one and i I talked about this with uh, my uh, our hour uh, just nice life coach um, dr john sheely and he uh, was like, yeah, and what he often um, puts forth the idea that one might um, go into a float tank a yes. few times. I wouldn't say, I'd say more than once. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of like, well, if you can't handle a float tank, then that's probably, uh, you know, for an hour and a half to two hours, um, then that's probably an indicator that maybe some more work needs to be done before going into some sort of psychedelic uh, therapy or ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think, I think we've kind of wrapped things up. Um, anything else that you would like to talk about on this subject? Yeah, just one more, maybe just one more point on the epigenetics. Mm. Um, you hear it said a lot that uh, doing this kind of work heals seven generations back and seven generations forward. Mm. Well, all that work that we do on ourselves to upregulate or downregulate genes or, or actually change the expression of our genetic code, that expression can also be passed down for generations. So it's it, it's something that traditional societies say, but there's actually like that scientific context where it's it's very true so i just wanted to point that out cool yeah a great way to bring it back to uh kind of a rational yeah uh, scientific uh base i really appreciate that again uh we we recommend this book uh lost connections by johan hari and thank you johan for writing it (laughs) it's been a great help Thank you for taking the time to listen to this this podcast. It was a wonderful podcast. And thank you, Jess, for coming on. We're going to do more of these. Uh, we finally got our equipment all set up here in Guatemala. And uh, we're really excited to put out more of these. And so we are uh, on SoundCloud's our main thing, and then we're also on iTunes. So if you can, if you like the podcast, be great and helpful for us to subscribe. Uh, and just as a little plug for uh, ayahuasca family or la familia ayahuasca we are at ayahuascafamily.com and you can reach us at 
info at ayahuascafamily.com. You can see all of our uh, retreat dates uh, and also uh, all the details uh, in terms of um, what we offer. And feel free to reach out with any questions. So thank you again. Bye-bye. Ah, <laughs> 
Allah, 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 Allah,